Hi, and welcome to Let's Talk About It with Shania Kelly, a podcast where every opinion matters. I'm a 20-something master's social worker based in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I bring to you an open and collaborative space where I give voices to the unheard and the unknown on important social topics. So please join me in this space and let's talk about it. Today's episode is part two in our little mini-series for whether we have access to mental health care. I really hope that bringing different perspectives on one topic is hopefully adding to the perspective that you have as a listener as it has been for myself. Um, I wasn't, you know, too sure if it was the best idea to have one topic with different parts. I know um, many podcasters that I follow have a different kind of topic each time. I really want to do these topics justice and allow people from different backgrounds, even from the same, you know, kind of background, um, to provide their perspective on the topic and, and give their life experience. So I hope it's been helpful. Today's episode is a little bit longer than the usual, so I really do hope that you bear with us and you listen to the whole thing because there are just so many gems throughout this conversation, and I think it's helpful for anyone who's interested in getting into the mental health care, anyone who currently works in mental health care, and anyone who is struggling with mental health themselves. So please tune in and let's talk about it. Thank you so much for coming on the show, everyone. We have a bit of a panel today to talk about our topic on whether we have access to mental health care. And I'm gonna give our interviewees a chance to interview themselves. Hi, I'm Amy. I'm from the central Ohio area and I am a master's level clinical social worker. And I work primarily with substance use population, trauma, I currently work in the private practice area, but I also do liaison work with uh, master's and bachelor's level social work students with the university here. I do clinical supervision, and uh, it's a little bit about me. Thank you so much, Amy. Hi, uh, so my name is Bob Crome, and I am from the Lehigh Valley area of Pennsylvania. Kind of do work kind of all over the state, uh, but uh, I I work with folks with uh, developmental disabilities, um, as a behavior specialist, I'm a licensed behavior specialist, uh, oftentimes working with uh, individuals who have uh, what we consider dual diagnosis, which in my field means a mental health diagnosis, as well as uh, developmental disability. Um, been doing that for a, little, a bit over 15 years, 15, 16 years, and uh, I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Thank you for coming on. Uh, my name is uh, Wes Bush. I um a master's in psychology. I do um, clinical uh, therapy work with uh, children and families. Um, my career has largely been um, the adult mental health population, um, and I've held a number of positions in the field. Uh, I do work uh, doing trainings as well uh, at local colleges, um, and uh, I've been in the field for probably about the same time as Bob, like 15, 16 years. Um, so again, thanks for having me honored to be here of course thank you Wes hello and good morning everyone my name is Megan um I am located currently in uh 
for Giant Saskatchewan Canada, I am um, I'm a peer support specialist. Um, I recently um, started to finish training up for that over um, just just at the beginning of June. Um, you know, and uh, I also do um, advocacy and activism work through nonprofits and here locally in the city to help um, to help bring more awareness to you know mental health services. Um, I'm in a pretty rural area, so um, we're there's a lot of changes going on and a mm -hmm. lot of like you know awareness that um, is bringing is coming forth towards the need for trauma-informed care. I know we're, we're a lot, of, we're, we're quite behind in, in, um, in a lot of ways compared to other parts of the world. So that's, um, that's a, a big part of like what I've been working to, working, working to do along with um, a lot of other advocates locally in my city, you know? So it's, it's good to be here and connect with everyone. Yes, thank you for coming. And your advocacy is well needed. So I appreciate you for trying to bring such pivotal services into the area that you live in. So let's get into our conversation today. Um, so with our first question, I just want to know with the very diverse background that we have um, here today, just from the areas that we live in, and from the, the expertise that we come from, what does mental health mean to you when you hear mental health? What kind of words come up for you? Or if you feel comfortable, you can ex explain or uh, share any experiences that you have had with mental health. Anyone can kind of pop in or I can just go for my uh, I can go first. So in terms of mental health, I used to be a mental health case manager. Uh, mental health has meant a lot to me for quite some period of time. Um, really, it's the biggest reason why I came into social work in the first place, because I've dealt with my own mental health issues in the past, especially as someone um, who was young and in the kind of community that I lived in. Um, I didn't have many opportunities to connect with other people, I felt, because uh, I was the great minority in my area uh, living in a suburb in the Lehigh Valley. So with that came many of challenges. So trying to do my own self-work um, and also supporting my friends kind of led me into um, this field. Um, and I'm pretty passionate about mental health. Uh, I'd love to reconnect into it more uh, because now I'm doing work in career counseling, which is not exactly the same, but a lot of times mental health, you'll find opportunities to talk about it, even if you don't have the intentions to uh, based on your whatever your job title may be at that time. So for me, I think it's the most important to continue to bring awareness to mental health issues um, so that we can, of course, lessen the amount of stigma that people experience in hopes that they're able to feel empowered and confident in themselves to get the help that they need. Well, thank so you anyone? for sharing, Shania. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my story to pop in is, is, is very similar. Um, I got into the field of mental health. Um, psychology was always an interest to me. There was other things that I was potentially studying in college. And this was like kind of always like my minor. And then I was like, wow, it's the only thing that I've stayed consistent with. So this mm -hmm. probably is what I should do and I'm interested in. And, you know, I started experiencing my own mental health issues pretty young, you know, I'd say 14, 15 years old. Um, and uh, so I, I got into to the field largely to to try to figure myself out. Um, right. And then you very quickly realize that it's really not about you. And so um, I started off um, doing 
psychiatric rehab work, um, but I, I spent a lot of time as a case manager as well. And I remember, um, you know, getting specifically in touch with uh, the impoverished and the homeless populations. And, you know, we, we didn't have a lot of money and stuff growing up, but, you know, I remember taking individuals to, taking, a, taking an individual to a food bank and then them bringing them, taking the food home and then sharing it with a neighbor and saying, mm-hmm. you didn't have anything and you just gave half of the free food you got away to go feed somebody else in your neighborhood. And I was just like, I don't really think I can do anything else anymore. Like, <laughs> like what are you, I'm trapped now. Like, what am I supposed to do for the rest of my life? So, um, but uh, mental health is just is super important. It's often stigmatized in our communities. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I just, I've worked through most of my career in my life to destigmatize and to be an advocate and an ally of individuals that are struggling with mental health. Um, because it can be quite debilitating and it is the invisible illness, you know, nobody, right. nobody gets in trouble for having cancer or lupus or anything like that. But you, you know, people blame you for, you know, not being able to get out of bed in, in the morning or being like super worried about, you know, things that haven't happened yet. Right, right. And I think that's the most important thing about um, advocating and sharing information in hopes that people are able to understand and empathize a bit more with others who are going through mental health. And I think just also understanding that we all have mental health, mental health, we might not all have uh, mental health challenges or mental health diagnoses or illnesses, but mental health, we all deal with it as we do with our physical health. So um, the more that we're able to normalize, the more we're able to empathize with each other. And thank you for sharing that with me and with our uh, audience. No worries. Yeah. So for me, uh, as far as mental health goes, um, you know, I, I worked in the field for quite a while, probably had quite a bit of compassion fatigue. Uh, and then my, I myself, uh, you know, ended up struggling with some, um, mental health stuff still do to this day, anxiety, stuff like that. Uh, but, uh, for me, mental health is kind of inner thoughts, self-perception and, and that kind of interfering with, or, or not, because let's talk, I mean, mental health could also be, you know, a, a positive thing where we, you know, as, if we can overcome that or cope with that, yes. we can forward with that. So, uh, but the, how that kind of interferes with our ability to live life in a peaceful manner, a fulfilling manner, uh, happiness, you know, cause a lot of times those, those self-thoughts and stuff, they get in the way, uh, moving forward. And so, mm-hmm. uh, Wes and I on here, we've known each other for, for a bit of time and actually mental health probably is what, got us together and so close because each each of us kind of hold each other accountable in stressful times and situations bob used to work with my wife and said hey you need to meet this guy at my office because he's the same (laughs) type of broken that you are (laughs) he was totally right um we just hit it off pretty quickly yeah and and we uh uh to this day for you know with with my company what we do you know wes uh works with us uh with some consulting and doing some training and uh part-time stuff we train at local universities and stuff about stigma, the stigmatization of, of mental health and things. And I mean, again, for us and our unique experiences um, as, as males, uh, you know, that's a, a big uh, yes. roadblock to getting mental health because of the masculine, uh, so to speak, uh, perceptions of what mental health is or is not. Uh, right. Uh, we have this really funny meme that we well, it's not, it's funny in, 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 a, in a weird sense, but uh, of a, a, a person holding their arm up, uh, kind of drowning in the water and someone reaching. And then at the last second, they, they be a man and give you a high five. <laughs> you know, 
the uh, hand goes down. So it's it's one of those things where you know for me in my life growing up in a, a rural area, uh, kind of the tough guy approach in my family's view, mm-hmm. tough guy approach. You know, uh, make sure that you know you don't want to end up uh, in a place uh, again. Not to be offensive, but in quotes here, uh, my family would call it quote the loony bin. Uh, right. And, uh, you don't want to end up there. And it it that probably delayed, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, delayed my ability to get help when I should have uh, by a long time. Uh, so uh, but anyway, I that's what that's what mental health means to me. Very passionate about uh, the access to that and moving forward, which is why I'd love to be here. <laughs> yes, yes. Thank you for sharing. One of the things that you you touched on is kind of like how the people that surround you influence whether you feel comfortable going to services. I think that um, many of generations or many of people have experienced the same thing because we're still just learning about mental health and what this part of our uh, beings means to us. So, you know, many of our families and friends and maybe even ourselves are questioning what mental health really is, how it affects us. And, you know, are we crazy, quote unquote, for experiencing these problems? And am I crazy for then going to get the help that I need? Or do I even know where those resources are? So thank you for bringing that up um, and for sharing that with us. Would anyone else like to share? Sorry. Thank you, Amy. I'm trying to find my <laughs> unmute button. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, um, you know, a little bit about what brought me to the field was I'm probably one of those very rare people. I've wanted to be in the field since I was in like fifth grade. Um, so I wanted to be a therapist. And a little bit about me is I'm adopted. So I was adopted very young, but I'm adopted within my family. So I actually have a very close relationship with my biological mom, mm-hmm. but I was adopted because of her substance use problems. And it kind of led, you know, my parents to help out with me a lot. And then eventually they were like, you know, we're going to adopt her. And I had, they already had five kids and their youngest was 13 years older than me. So mm-hmm. they were kind of restarting. And my mom, actually my biological mom, similar, give the, the shirt off their back to anybody. They were always volunteering, always giving back, working with like developmental disability population, you know, doing all that stuff, not certified, no higher education, just those are the types of things that they really enjoyed at their time. Um, and I remember <laughs> the moment I realized I wanted to be a therapist and what that was for me. I was in the back of a car with my best friend and her mom and her siblings on vacation. And I was talking to their younger sister. She was still in like a, like she was a toddler mm-hmm. and she was asking me about something. And I don't remember that conversation, but however I responded, my best friend's mom was like, you should be a therapist. <laughs> like, yes. Yes. I'm like, yes, I should. <laughs> and, and I've always just found everybody throughout my life. People I don't know and have just met. have always just felt very comfortable talking and sharing. And, and I feel comfortable listening and helping them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, kind of where I've always just projected my life to be and couldn't see myself doing anything else. Um, and then when I was in my undergrad, I started taking substance use classes mm-hmm. as a minor. And that's where I really found my passion for working with that particular population. And I found myself as clinical director of a drug and alcohol rehab before getting to private practice. I just really have a passion and compassion for that particular population. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as far as like, and I agree with Bob, like I grew up in a very rural community. Um, and so there is a lot of still just, even now, stigma and mindset around like, what does mental health mean? Because they see it as still that stigma of illness, like 
you're sick, right. something wrong with you, you're bad. That comes with that word illness. So I really like the term mental health versus mental illness personally. Mm-hmm. I think it shows the ability of recovery or, you know, remission, right? Um, and so for me, mental health is very similar to Bob. And I see it as a somewhat of a mindset of how can I improve myself, right? Like the stigma plays a role in that and all those things. And so it's not just about people saying, I, I am this diagnosis, I have these challenges, but I also have, I, I'm big on with my supervisees and stuff like that and my clients, self-care, what are you doing for yourself? How are you reducing, reducing burnout, compassion, fatigue? I'm actually yes. too. And that's where I'm focusing my dissertation on. Oh, particularly with cl- clinical care and how do we reduce the risk of secondary traumatic stress vicarious trauma and compassion fatigue through supervision, education, et cetera. Um, and so I have a really big passion for not just obviously the people who need that, but the practitioners in our field who are really the, the frontline responders mm-hmm. to the mental health issues that we're having in this country and other countries that has significantly been growing and we just can't keep up with it. So but right. that's, that's kind of my my perception and how I got here in terms of mental health. Yes, thank you for sharing. And I think it's really important to also talk about, um, you know, the the relevance of, of knowing that as practitioners, we are also able to struggle with mental health too. And it's important for us to have our own support system, especially those who we work with, um, those who supervise us to uh, be aware of that too. Um, because compassion fatigue is a very real thing. Burnout is a very real thing. And um, I don't know if it's avoidable in <laughs> in this field. So um, what you're doing, what you're working on in terms of your dissertation is very much well needed. And I appreciate you for for doing that. Hopefully whenever it's uh, published, I'd love to see it. (laughs) And then Megan, what does mental health mean to you? All right. Um, I was just uh, kind of browsing over. Um, I'm a writer, so I like to take the questions, right? Yeah, of course. I don't kind of get my I took a little bit of a little bit of notes on here. At, um, you know, at, and it kind of worked out really well for me because, like, at the time when um, you sent out the questions, I was actually I just finished writing an article for a, a nonprofit organization in BC, which was really centered around like rural mental wellness and you know what needs to change and all that. So okay. this this not only that like I was was I able to bounce ideas kind of like off of off of these questions. To, to kind of help me, you know, better orchestrate my thoughts for the article, but I was able to like to better self-reflect on uh, getting prepared for this interview as well. Oh, so, well, that's um, good. Sounds like the right timing. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It was awesome. Um, just some kind of like the the key points that I really was um that came up for me was um, with mental health is pri- um prioritizing emotional well-being, you know, and. It sounds like a really, you know, it's it's a really simple, I don't know, concept in in a sense. But um, a little bit about like um, I had a, I had a some very similar journey to like kind of like um, relating to Bob's story, where like I had I like I started my my recovery journey. I was a, I was an I was an alcoholic for many years. I hit a bottom, 2013, and I had to, I went into um, you know I went into the psychiatric care, and I didn't really. 
at the time I didn't understand it because like I grew mm-hmm. up in a family of alcohol, you know, alcoholics where that was like, it was normal. It was like, Hey, you know, like everybody's wasted on Christmas day. That's just what you do. So I'm like, I didn't understand it. Right. Um, and it took a lot of, um, you know, a lot of, uh, edu- you know, like local education and working with professionals for me to, to understand that, yeah, you know, like my substance issues were not, were number one, were not good. But as a result of that, um, I also learned that there were a lot of, you know, gaps and a lot of things missing here locally within these services. And, um, you know, and that's what really called me to advocacy and wanting to do better. There was a woman, um, she was a nurse and I took a lot, there were a lot, there's a lot of like outpatient programs here, you know, a lot of like to, you know, like wellness programs, stuff like that. There was a nurse that led one of the programs and I never forgot this. She came up to us and said, she's like, we're talking about advocacy. And she said, like, we are the advocates. We have to work towards bringing more awareness to these, to the causes. And, you know, at the time I kind of thought, what do you mean? I'm just here to get better. What do you, what do you mean? But but something with, like, but that stuck with me, right? Like it, yeah. it, it actually made me realize that um, you know, lived experience has a very, you know, there's a there's a special place for it, you know, in in the recovery field and whatnot. Yes, for sure. Yeah. So I started like, and that's when I learned about peer support and that's what really kind of called me to that. Um, you know, and then I, and then that, you know, and then that, which ties into my other, you know, key point about mental health is, you know, do people have, do people have access to the services they need to improve their mental health? You know, and what does that look like for everybody? And are we addressing it, um, you know, more on a, like a holistic level? Um mm-hmm this um this the last couple of weeks i've been um i've been working with um well they're a nonprofit, but they also specialize in peer support but they're they're doing um impact research and what we did what they did was they interviewed a group of us in canada here to uh to to gain different experiences and, and eventually what's going to happen is um they're going to present this to government and policymakers to try to you know influence the changes changes within policies to better integrate systems and better integrate different practices into healthcare. So um you know it's I don't know. <laughs> I sometimes I sometimes I think to myself like what does a Haitian English woman in rural Canada have to do with overchanging healthcare policy in Canada? <laughs> like how do I have that much power? You know, there's people way more educated than me up here, but at the same time, it's I'm I'm you know, I'm I'm grateful for the opportunities to help improve and you know to make to make um things better for others and to you know help bring more awareness to you know diversity inclusion and to help you know help others get the proper services they need so 
Yes, thank you for sharing. And and just know that your experience is extremely important, especially as someone who's going in uh, to be a, a peer support. You're going to be that person where someone might be able to relate to the most and you might be able to get connected with someone and have them hear you even more than a practitioner will. So you bring tons and tons of value to the lives of whomever you work with. And the advocacy that you're doing sounds amazing. And um, the fact that you're doing in Canada, we need that over here too. And that kind of leads me into my, my next Next question where it is um, like, do you guys feel that there is enough of mental health advocacy in your area or enough of groups of people trying to bring mental health awareness um, to yourself and the constituents and community in your, your area? One of the things that uh, Megan had just said that ties into this for me is she had just said like, basically, like, who am I to like affect all this change in, in the mental health advocacy or mental health policy? And I got to tell you, there is so much um, there are so many, uh, when, I, when I started my business, right, I thought, my goodness, like, I, what I want to do is I want to do good work, I want to be, uh, I want to provide integrity. And I, I've not been, we, we've not been doing like rocket science, so to speak, it's just been, uh, you know, doing things that are going to incite change, loving mm -hmm. people, and, and, and moving forward with that. And so I guess for anyone listening to this, I think, like, don't, don't kind of uh, put a roadblock for yourself there like go do do advocate because one of the things about this field is it's kind of unpaved there's you know for as long as mental health is being being studied or looked at or whatnot we have so far to go um so far to advance i mean with technology integration with uh philosophy with approaches instead of just doing things the way they've always been done it's really important for us again don't ever kind of second guess yourself move forward, make the uh, network uh, advocate, because uh, like Megan said, a lot of us get that, which is part of a mental health piece, right? That's right. <laughs> how am I supposed to? Who am I? <laughs> Imposter <laughs> syndrome. <laughs> so with that being said, I think we have a ways to go with uh, mental health access. Um, I think education, I mean, with what's been going on with unfortunate recent shootings and things like that, mm -hmm. like like recognizing these red flags ahead of time, like as a family, like instead of just leaving the family gathering and talking to your, you know, insular family about how, oh man, that dude's weird or whatever. Like, no, like we could do so much more than that. Like, hey, what, where's, have you had access to, you know, uh, um, do you need help um, with, with finding a therapist, whatnot? Like, don't just avoid it and just hope it gets better because that is the right. absolute worst thing. So when it comes to access, I think there are resources there still could be improved, but it's how do we get folks to those resources? Because mm -hmm. as we talked about, I think the average um, delay in treatment is eight years for folks with struggling with serious mental health conditions. That's an extremely long time because by the end of those eight years, it might be too late then because then we yes. have something serious like self-harm or harming other folks. So I think it's really, really important for us as a family and as a community to understand what those red flags are in, in order for access to be at its premium. I think, in my opinion, Bob is, is kind of spot on here. I mean, we have ad advocacy um, and I think society is moving toward uh, a place where destigmatization is occurring. But I think, um, I mean, obviously it's still a lot of room for improvement uh, here in the States, obviously. Um, but if I think back to what it, it was like for me growing up, mm -hmm. versus what I see things like for 
kids now that I work with, um, you know, a ton more acceptance, ton more people talking about things like suicide and self-harm and depression, yada, yada. Um, and I think as far as society as well, I mean, we have organizations like NAMI that, you know, there's posters and billboards on the highway and stuff on a regular basis. I think the difference in, and I guess where I sit in my, my opinion would be, there's the difference between people, we're at the stage right now where people are willing to accept and understand that mental health, mental illness is a thing. And I think the lacking is going back to what you said, Shania, is like, just like we all have physical health, we all have mental health. And your mental health isn't always wonderful. And it doesn't mean that you need to be locked in a hospital. Uh, and I think people just run real quick. To, that's where the stigmatization in my mind still lies, um, is wanting to distance yourself from the quote unquote crazies. Right. Um, and I'm not like that. That's not me. That's other. Those are other people. Those people. I've heard those people so many times in my life. Yes. <laughs> Same. Um, and um, I think that's where we need to cross the gap as a society. And I think it's kind of um, it's something I've heard Bob talk about a lot. Um, he came up, you know, I mentioned he worked with my wife. They came up working in group home systems and, and it's, it's kind of the whole NIMBY situation, the not in my backyard. Oh, mm. it's wonderful that we're helping individuals with mental illness. They need a place to go. They need a place to rehabilitate. They need a place to be safe, but not next to me, not my neighbors. They could go do that somewhere else. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't want that in my neighborhood. Um, and, the, and, the, and the big problem is because mental health affects all of us is your neighborhood isn't literally your neighbor. Like it's your house. It's your head. Right. This is your head. It's, it's you know, um, you know, we all experience uh, depression, anxiety. Those are natural natural emotions and feelings for everybody you know when your significant other passes away like nobody's like well maybe some people are like great but like <laughs> most people are like that's like the worst thing that happens for them in their life and they go through a period of grief and loss and I would have clients that I would deal with in the field and and they'd be like I don't need to go to the hospital I don't need to go to the hospital and be like uh buddy your your wife died if you were great right now then I'd be worried. Like you're supposed to be miserable. Let yourself be miserable. You know, okay. If you're starting to feel like you want to hurt yourself. Okay. That's where we're going to talk. Right. But like the fact that I came over and like, you're like, I haven't gotten up and showered in two days. It's like, well, you're not supposed to right now. You're supposed to be terrible. So like, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I think we need to do better with the understanding that this isn't somebody else's problem. This mm -hmm. is our problem as well. And I think, so I think as far as my answer, and I'm rambling now, but like, yeah, no, the, not at all. Advocacy in the community. And I think if you talk to 99% of people, they'd be like, yeah, mental health is a problem. We need to get people with mental illness help. And people are like, yeah, that's fine. Let's help them. Um, but then people aren't willing to like look inside or like look at their kid or something that's struggling and be like, well, not my kid. They'll be fine. It's just a phase will grow out of it. You know, mm -hmm. just teenage angst or just sat over a boy or something like that. And it's like, well, no, it could be a for realsy problem. Like maybe mm -hmm. we can address it. So that's my two cents. 
No, thank you for sharing that. And you weren't, there's no rambling here. So if anything comes to you and you feel like, oh, I got to get this out, please do. Thank you for, for sharing that. There were so many important, you know, pieces that you mentioned. Um, and I like, as, as we continuous to say um, that education and sharing information is really our strongest uh, point that we have. And that's a form of advocacy, whether it's like a, on a small scale and you're telling your friend about something or your family about something or a bigger scale where maybe you're doing a conference and you're giving a, a speech of some kind. So sharing information is one of the biggest pieces of power that we have. And advocacy doesn't have to be a grandeur scale or, you know, feel empowered to do that. Feel empowered like Megan is doing, being part of organizations that are doing research and want to make policy change. Um, there's so many levels and we have to allow ourselves to be a part of that to see a difference happen in this field. Let's take a quick moment to listen to the ads that keep this show going, and then we'll get right back into the episode. Today is a great day to start your own podcast. Whether you're looking for a new marketing channel, have a message you want to share with the world, or just think that it'd be fun to have your own talk show, podcasting is an easy, inexpensive and fun way to expand your reach online. Buzzsprout is hands down the easiest and best way to launch, promote, and track your podcast. Your show can be online and listed in all the major podcast directories like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and so much more within minutes of finishing your recording. Podcasting isn't hard when you have the right partners. And the team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping you succeed. Join me and thousands of other podcasters already using Buzzsprout to get their message out to the world using the link in the show notes. And back to the show. Just to piggyback off of what you're saying here real quick, I'm sorry, I'm not trying to monopolize here. No, uh, no, go ahead. <laughs> I, I just think it's really important that beyond education. So if you've ever looked at... Um, so back in the day when like Nancy Reagan started the whole D.A.R.E. program, right? And so it's kind of like this it's semi-fear-based, like, hey, drugs yeah. are bad. <laughs> uh, if you look at the statistics on the effectiveness of that, there's plenty of studies out there. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I think Indiana University did one of them. But anyway, I think that was the one that found that it actually, in, in areas that were doing D.A.R.E., it actually did the exact opposite of what it was intended to do. And it made things, so the point was, um, and I think uh, NAMI, uh, when they had a, a conference in Chicago, I, I kind of referenced this often. And again, I apologize, I don't have the exact specifics here, uh, but I can pr maybe provide that later. Uh, but if and when uh, someone was provided um, with this D.A.R.E. program, uh, again, it, it kind of looked like uh, just education alone, mm -hmm. um, folks really, really, really seem to learn or, or kind of curtail the other way or, or seem to benefit from understanding the experience or getting to know someone who is experiencing either substance abuse or mental health. So I think the experience and not remaining, I brought up kind of like the whole uh, us staying insular and not experiencing or staying on our own islands or whatnot. Uh, it doesn't really help us. We can sit here and say all we want about educating, um, mm -hmm. which is good, but we also have to get out there and get to know folks and get to know what's going on or getting folks who aren't within the field. Like all the, the five of us are in the field and we're with folks and we're getting to experience that, which is, it just kind of hones in on our, our passion about it every single day. But for folks who are like, yeah, 
we need to change, it's kind of like, well, someone else will do that, right? Right, so, yes. Someone else will do that, Jenny. And um, one of the other things that doesn't help, just real quick side uh, note here, is the stigmatization. Like, I think we, we move ahead so far. And then unfortunately, our, our society, even the, the folks who are some of the most progressive folks that you can think of right now, again, I'm not going to get political in any way, shape or form, but I think in my opinion, one of the most progressive candidates ever for president is Bernie Sanders. And at some point he even has made, I remember the 2016 debates uh, when he was debating Hillary Clinton, he said something to the extent of, um, I'm going to pour millions into the mental health care system, which was great. But then he went farther to say, if you watch the Republicans debates, you'd understand why. And he, mm. Like what he was doing was it was a double edged sword because he was uh, trying to kind of make a joke towards the Republican Party. But at the same time, what he did was he kind of put down folks um, who were struggling with mental health. And yes. I don't I don't know if he recognized that or whatnot, but I think that was a huge step backwards. Uh, again, even the most progressive folks that you can think of aren't really thinking about the stigmatization moving forward with some of that stuff. So. Uh, again, apologize for, uh, like you said, there's no rambling, but those are just yes. <laughs> out there that affects this access and the stigmatization of what we're talking about. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so I'm going to have us go into our next question. I feel like we talked that one out so, so well um, in the first and the second one. And I wanted to know, like, based on your areas, I know like there's three of us in the Lehigh Valley in Pennsylvania, but <laughs> do you feel like there are quality services for people to utilize in your area? We're talking about, you know, what our thoughts are on mental health in general. And we're talking about how to advocate. But I also want to make sure that we're talking about are the services that are there now, are they doing, are they doing a good service to people so that when they're, when they finally have the courage to go and get help, are they receiving the help that they need? Or are they having experiences that maybe are making them go another way? Um, I think here in the central Ohio area, or even really Ohio, yes and no. I think it really depends. So kind of what we were talking about earlier, the burnout, the, the at least the turnover and compassion fatigue definitely plays a huge role in the quality of care that people receive. So I think there are, are a growing number here in Ohio of resources in, in the bigger cities in particular, um, because they have a lot more funding for that. Um, mm -hmm. I know, and it helps me working with students, I get to work with students all across the state, because um, I do virtual work with them too. And so I get to see what, what services one, their experience with the services that their place is offering, um, with the different types of services that are kind of offered throughout the state that I may not normally interact with or need to access. Mm -hmm. um, and so I see a lot more agencies, facilities, practices, right? Trying to promote the internal mental health of their staff, which obviously leads to reduce the burnout, compassion fatigue and turnover. Therefore, they're feeling like they're capable of helping people in a better position. Um, but I still think that there's a lot of facilities, in my opinion, some of the psychiatric hospitals mm -hmm. <laughs> that you know I've had bad experiences with, you know, as a as a professional, um, and I've had a lot of clients have bad experiences and kind of really not feel feel heard, cared for well, treated well, um, and kind of just the medical model of pushing meds and turning them out as quick as possible. Um, and so I still see that happening a lot and your more facility bases rather than your agencies. 
But I think in your agencies, you're still seeing high productivity requirements, you know, high caseloads, high burnout. And so people aren't really feeling as if they have the ability to receive the services and the quality of services they're looking for from their counselors, case managers, advocates. Um, and then in the more rural areas, like I was talking about before, like my area, there's so few, and frankly, my <laughs> I have family who've seen them or friends who've seen them. They don't seem like all that quality of care, um, but they don't feel like they have other access. Like their only right. access is that care. Um, and then like, again, in Ohio, I can't really speak for Pennsylvania. We have a huge substance use problem here. Like we are part of the main traffic from Canada to Florida. And so the, the opiate population, like opiate epidemic here is enormous. We have tons of funding. I don't think it goes where it needs to go probably very well. <laughs> That's, you know, a whole nother conversation. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, so, but then you have like these rural areas where the, the substance use is really, really bad. But to, I think it was Bob's point, that mental set of not in my backyard, like, mm -hmm. you know, we have a drug problem, but we don't want sober houses here. We don't want treatment centers here, you know, go to the big cities and do that. And I'm like, well, but we want to enter, like, they're already your neighbor. You may not mm -hmm. know it. They're already your neighbor or already in your home. At least someone in a sober house is probably actually doing the next right thing. And so wouldn't you rather they have the accessibility of that in your, in your town and hopefully having more people improving their wellness and their care and their re-entering into society and giving back to society, but you're pushing them out instead. And so that's kind of what I see in like in Ohio, if I kind of want to broadly speak for the state. <laughs> so. Well, I'll go ahead, Bob. I know. And piggybacking off of what Amy's saying, like the not in my backyard thing. I mean, Wes can talk about this a little bit more, but in our area, like institutionalization has, it's been going on since the 1960s. Like we're, we're 62 years into basically deinstitutionalizing folks. And there's still plenty of institutions that are open in Pennsylvania. Yes. Because it's not in my backyard. It's, we, we don't know, like the, this, the philosophy of getting folks out of an institutionalized setting is fantastic, but wh where's the practice of it? Where's the follow through of it? So again, that 60 some years uh, for this whole deinstitutionalization thing in our area, it's still, we've still got a ways to go. And uh, again, I just wanted to, to mention that based off what Amy was saying. Oh, Wes, you're unmuted. I know I was going to talk and then I yeah. was then debating whether I was going to talk or not. And then I was oh, like, please talk. talk. Nope, go ahead. <laughs> it's actually ironic because I was um, I was just thinking as we were talking about the not in my backyard and, and uh, Amy brought up sober houses. I actually have a drug and alcohol uh, rehab center about two blocks from my house. And I've been in this home for 10 years. And I was with the, the part where I was going to talk and then I took a pause as I was trying to think if I ever remembered there being anything as far as criminal activity or uh, or anything, because, you know, I, I don't know the individuals that are all living there. You know, I don't know them all name. Um, I imagine that. A lot of them probably don't have vehicles that are living there because 
the point of this, this, this statement is I see them, they walk around a lot and, and you can, you see the guys and there's a, there's a specific, that nobody really goes past the one point in the road, except if they're going to go to the drug and alcohol rehab that's down there. So that's the only thing that's down at the end of the road. So um, I'm not judging or stereotyping. I'm literally saying there's only one reason people are walking back there. And so the point of it is I see these, these, these guys, it's a man, it's a, a male drug and alcohol rehab. I see them walking around all the time. They don't bother anybody. They're great neighbors. Um, and, uh, most of them will smile and wave and say hi. And I say hi, you know, as I'm out walking my dog and stuff. And I still hear people complain about having that so close to where we are and the element that it brings to our town. And these are individuals that smell like weed 24 seven. And like, that's getting decriminalized. So I don't want to get on a decriminalization of, <laughs> of weed and marijuana, blah, 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 blah. Um, but I'm like, you're literally doing more criminal activity than the people you're complaining about that bring a criminal element to our town. And um, so I don't know, I just found that irony. And I was like, that's worth sharing. It's, it's just kind of ironic. But um, there was um, a again, West, I apologize to interrupt you. There was a similar thing where there was a uh, where they were trying to open up a substance abuse um, like facility uh, and also provide EMDR and some group therapy for veterans who going through PTSD and the local community got together and basically said, no way, I won't have anywhere to park. And so they, Oh my gosh. <laughs> so even, even for reasons like that, they shoot things down. Sorry, Wes, go ahead. No, no, no. But I, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, um, so yeah, as far as I've kind of lost my train of thought, so, um, bear with me, but, uh, I, I just thought that that was an interesting antidote to, to share because, um, these individuals are not bringing criminal elements. They're, they're, you know, they're in facilities and treatment centers trying to get their lives better. Um, so I don't, I don't know. It, it, it's just super stigmatized. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and as far as, I guess the original question is, you know, what we have available in our area versus um, whether it's quality or not, or, I mean, that varies. I mean, obviously, I've, I've been to facilities over the years that are just like, I don't know how this place isn't shut down. And I've been to other people, places that, you know, people are working hard um, and, and trying to serve the individuals that they're charged with. Um, I've learned I've worked largely in the the public sector, um, you know, working with individuals on Medicaid and and public assistance throughout my career. Um, we could always do better. Um, bureaucracy holds us back often. Mm -hmm. um, funding is always a constant issue. And again, these are just so many more podcasts for you, Shania. Right, I know. There's lots um, of lists. I have the lists. So like, <laughs> Very long. You know, jumping off of Amy, like here in the Valley, we have a large drug and alcohol problem too. Uh, recent years, Pennsylvania's funding for human services, instead of everybody getting their own budget, we've been, uh, they've been doing what's called like block grants. So like all the human services are in one pot. And so they dole out the money at a high state level based on what they feel is most needed. So um, drugs and alcohol, you know, is a large issue, um, but they have been receiving the majority of the funding in our state for the last several years um, and I still hear about how much it's a problem. So I don't know. Um, 
you know, as a mental health provider, it always feels like I'm being salty because our budgets <laughs> have gotten cut year after year after year. Uh, but um, so I, I think the easy answer is more, um, more publicly, more privately, I'm sure. Um, again, another podcast is the amount of education versus the pay of social workers. Mm, yes. So like the individuals that are in this field, if you're in this field for a paycheck, um, if you're listening right now, spoiler <laughs> alert, leave, um, because one, you're disingenuous and the people you're working with know, and two, you're probably not that intelligent because if you're here for a paycheck, you can get a better paycheck somewhere else. I mean, with the recent rise in, uh, you know, and it's speaking again here in America, with the recent rise of, um, us needing, uh, you know, with places like McDonald's and Target starting to pay, you know, $15, $16 an hour, that's really hurt the human services field because, mm -hmm. you know, if Target wants to pay their employees $15 an hour, they're going to take that out on us as the consumers and they're just going to charge us an extra 30 cents for our goods. And most of us will just complain a little bit and we'll still buy, you know, the brush silver candlesticks or whatever we're there for. Um, but in the human service field, we can't just charge our clients more money because they're not paying us anyway, at least in the public sector. So right. um, it's, it has been a challenge to increase our rates for our staff, which desperately needed to happen years ago um, and still needs to happen, frankly. Um, and then, but the, you're just basically asking the agency to absorb that cost. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it provides a lot of challenges because yeah, while the people at the top are probably still doing okay, um, you know, the, the company shouldn't have to suffer to provide services and to provide fair wages to their staff. So I don't know. That's again, this is a whole other podcast. So stop. <laughs> yes. I'll be sure to let everyone know when that, that is to come. Cause that is definitely one of the conversations to have. Um, Megan, is there any comments that you have on, on this, this part of the, the today's conversation? Well, it's just, it's been, you know, good. It's been good to listen, you know, like, like I, I definitely have, you know, experiences, you know, like, I like it, like, well, I mean, Wes was just talking a little bit about the pay and what, like, but one of the things that I, I was learning a bit about when I came into the peer support training is there's this big, you know, a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of people in different areas of Canada right now, like are, ad, are, are advocating for actually to get paid in peer support. A lot, a lot of people, a, mm. a lot of people think it's that we should, that it's just, it should be volunteer and, and it brought like I had a really really in depth conversation with this with a lot of my like my fellow students about it and um, you know I don't know if, like well for, for me because peer support is such a new I don't know I, I like I don't I don't I don't like it's not a new concept but in my area it it is mm -hmm. so for me to kind of wrap my mindset around that it, it's very i don't know it's it's it's, it's a bit, it brings up a lot of strange you know kind of like feelings you know like because like i'm going like i'm at a place now where i'm going out and i'm partner partnering more with local organizations I knew that if I wanted to get better you know better informed and another, like, i think that like that's one of the reasons i started to like look at you know networking more online because there's a lot more 
education in different areas of like, you know, the United States, for example, that, that, are, that are doing a lot more. And I started to kind of look at, 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 different, at, at what others were doing out there. And I thought, well, okay, well, maybe we can model this over here locally. Mm -hmm. Um, and now that like I'm getting more involved with local or you know with lo local organizations, I almost have like like I have like this. It's like, should I be excited or should I be kind of like on the, should I be kind of like on the fear side of things where like are they going to be so, you know, close-minded to some of these concepts and these new ideas? Um, I think one thing that makes me feel a bit better. Um, I went to. I was, I was in a networking seminar a couple of weeks ago. Um, and one of the things that have really has really kind of emerged more here over the last couple of years is um, more advo advocacy for, for the black community. And yeah. um, so um, at this particular event, which was focused more by like some other local advocates in the black community, um, there were, you know, al there were allies there within in the government sector, within like provincial and municipal. And, um, you know, what I learned what I learned by attending that was that um, there are a lot of there are going to be a lot of opportunities for, um, you know, they're bridging out funding for LGBTQ. They're looking at bringing in, you know, diverse therapists to meet different cultural needs and you know, they want to look at more trauma-informed resources. So that gave me a sense of like, okay, so they're on the right track. I don't have as much anxiety, like bringing this up in like partner organizations. Like I was, I'm, I'm working, you know, like with a, an organ, an organization that taught me how to advocate. And now I'm, now I'm going in to meet with them to do some public speaking locally for mental health stigma, but it's, it's, like as a person who who came from you know um, who came from addiction to mm -hmm. kind of like reinvent myself, it's sometimes it's kind of it's kind of scary, you know, because like going back into this organization where I was mentored to advocate, and now I'm essentially going out to be speaking and doing the advocacy. So it's kind of like. You know, like, like we were talking a little bit about that, you know, breaking out of that imposter syndrome, you know, yeah. like I know, I know that my experience is valid and, and that I, you know, I'm, I'm okay to do it. I'm okay to do it now. Like I've grown past that, but, you know, there's still kind of those moments where I'm kind of like, you know, like <laughs> fear of the unknown and getting out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. So, but that's how we learn. That's how we grow. So. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. The, the shift that you're talking about too, Megan, I appreciate you sharing that, Megan. I, so there's this whole shift too. You brought up trauma-informed care, and I can't believe we've gone this far into the conversation without bringing that up. I'm glad you did. <laughs> trauma-informed care, I mean, that is one of the most, that, I mean, that is like the greatest thing since sliced bread when it comes to like, I mean, you know, the Kaiser Permanente study or what, uh, whatnot, uh, the ACE, uh, you know, study and things. I think oh, yes. it's so profound that we're shifting the thinking of what's wrong with you to what happened to you. And yes. I think that's one of the keys to recovery for a lot of folks, whether it be substance abuse, uh, substance abuse, um, you know, emotion management, uh, whatever <laughs> there is treatment on like, and, and that even overcoming the imposter syndrome that you were talking about, like we have to recognize the, what happened to us. 
you, you got to figure out how to kind of um, defeat or, or battle the, the past situations before you can move forward. So I think that was, a, I'm glad you brought that up, Megan. I just wanted to throw that in there. Yeah. So, and I'd like to add on that real quick too. And mm -hmm. I know like supervision is like a big thing for me, but I think it, it's a top-down approach, right? Like a lot of these companies say we're trauma-informed and they might be doing that on the client level, but what are they doing that to their clinicians that are not allowing their clinicians to have that space to feel trauma informed from their higher ups or the company. And, and that trickles down to the clients, right? So like I've had a lot of conversations with students over the last couple of years and actually had to get several of them out of placements because of the environment in which they were working in, which was really hard for them to leave their clients because, mm -hmm. you know, they were doing the work, but they were being traumatized in the process because of their work environment. And it's, so it's not just about how we, we say we are, it's how do we actually do that in the rest of the, the work that we do with our peers, our colleagues, our supervisors, our supervisees, you know, I think that's just as important as the work that we do as clients, because that impacts everybody from every level. Right, right. And then our closing conversation, this has been so great. So many gems dropped throughout this conversation. So I hope that this is helpful for our listeners and just to connect with our listeners a little bit more because we never know who we are possibly getting in touch with. Um, what is something that you would like to share for some, like with someone that is um, finally ready to start their journey towards um, improving their mental health? You aren't alone. Um, something that you've probably heard out of the five of us, I think we've all echoed it today. I mean, this is just a drop in the bucket as far as clinicians and service line workers. And I'm glad that we have kind of a diverse group here. That's kind of cool. Um, but there was one universal truth that we all shared is that everybody has a story. Mm -hmm. So oftentimes the individual is you're opening up, whether they're wearing their heart on their sleeve like a CPS worker does, um, or they're buried behind a bunch of letters that they earned from a degree or a certification that they got. Most of the people that you're working with in this field have a story. And so, you know, we're looking at things trauma-informed, like Bob said, it's like, what happened to you? Mm -hmm. Something that's happened to everybody. So um, you're, you're not alone. Um, and Mental health, again, all the way back to the beginning um, that Shania said, it, everybody has mental health, whether it's good, bad, indifferent, everybody has it. So if your mental health isn't well, you'd go see a doctor if you have a broken leg. So you should go see a doctor if you've got profound sadness for X amount of time. Mm -hmm. um, and because the doctor that you're going to see is also a human being, I'm going to make an assumption. Um, they also have some sort of story and they also have mental health. So um, whether people are willing or not to look within and to recognize that we're all a part of the mental health community, whether we like it or not, the truth is we are. So nobody should really suffer in silence. Also, if you're someone out there listening and you're like, how can I make a difference or how can I improve helping other people just keep talking about it. You know, think about the language you're using. Don't be calling people crazy. Yes. <laughs> and stuff like that. That's not cool. So, you know, work on your vocabulary. 
Um, but work on normalizing. Um, you know, I, Bob brought up mental health for men. Uh, it, it oftentimes takes men five to 10 years longer because of the way we're socialized. I know different cultures uh, and everybody in society is affected different by society. So I'm not trying to be like, oh, men have it the worst. Clearly <laughs> not trying to say that. Um, but um, as far as society and male culture, like, yeah, as far as seeking help or expressing feelings or allowing being allowed to have feelings, yeah. Uh, we just pick ourselves up our bootstraps and man up, cowboy up, and just figure mm -hmm. it out on your own. Um, and um, so, you know, just telling the guys out there, it's normal. Just talk about it. Your other guy friends that you don't talk about and you just make fun of each other, <laughs> they're also suffering just as much as you are. So yes. make fun of them, do the bro thing. That's fine. But also, like, ask them how they're doing every now and then legitimately. So I guess that's the easy thing. Just ask your friends how they're feeling. And if they give you a stupid answer, then ask them again. <laughs> that's the first thing you can do. And, and Wes is talking about this concept too. I mean, so for anyone listening in any capacity, like we are all called, whether you believe, whether you believe in Jesus, whether you're Buddhist, whether you're, um, uh, whatever religion, whatever moral compass that you kind of go by, we're all called in some way, shape or form to love, quote, the unloved, end quote, right? So, and, and, and a lot of that starts with the relationship building. Uh, just know that you aren't alone, like Wes said, and there are plenty, There, when I say plenty, there are resources out there. I don't want to say plenty, but there are resources <laughs> out there. There are people out there who are willing to listen, who are willing to help. Um, so don't stop searching. And for those who are there as those resources, break the mold. Stop doing things the way they've always been done. Because mm -hmm. you know, when we talk about the, the, the funding and the routines and whatnot, we probably have enough time and enough funding to do what's always been done instead of what needs to be done moving forward. So as far as that goes, please don't be afraid to reach out to folks uh, for help. Uh, whether it's, you know, even if it's just calling your like crisis center or whatnot to just have a conversation. I mean, that's kind of some of the first steps is recognizing that you are not alone and there are people that do love care and, 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 and want you to have an adaptive you know, life or, or to enjoy life, the most fulfilling life. And so uh, that, that's what I would say. And again, we talked about the whole uh, imposter syndrome type thing. Like, don't be afraid to use your ideas and move and move forward with those ideas, because my if you've thought oh, someone else is probably doing it. They're probably not. If there's anything I've learned from starting a business in the mental health care field, it's not happening. It is like, <laughs> it is the Silicon Valley before it's, it's, it's still like, it's the wild west. Like there's no, it's, nothing's been developed. There's so much that needs to be done yet. So do not stop, strive forward, move forward there. Please, please, please do it. <laughs> Um, I agree. And, you know, it's, I see this going around a lot lately. It's, uh, it's okay to not be okay. Mm -hmm. And, and I think also just us feeling comfortable talking with one another about our mental health, whether that's, I'm doing great and here's why. And, and maybe I had some anxiety today or I had an off day, right? We're human and we all have those from, you know, infants to, you know, the, you know, the elderly. And I think sometimes for for children in particular, we forget that they can have bad days just like we have. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, and, and so I think sometimes it's just starting to talk about it, but to also know like the people in your life 
I see this a lot with grief is that people don't know how to deal with grief. And so they offer phrases of comfort that are not comforting, mm-hmm. the, you know, and that's the same with mental health. Like we're, when we're, we're discomforted with a conversation, we often don't respond well. Um, and so sometimes maybe if someone hasn't responded well, try not to make that personal and to not, and to say like, oh, well, I can't go get help or that no one will understand or be willing to listen because that person wasn't in a space to be able to listen, right? So like a lot of people say those things or respond in a way that they don't mean to be hurtful or harmful, but they just don't know how to respond. And I also want to bring up, I'm assuming you all know, but I want to put it out there for the listeners, the new suicide hotline. Are you guys familiar with the 988? So, you know, all you have to do is dial 988. And that is a universal number here in the United States, at least. Um, And that's a new line that I think everybody should be aware of um, and that we should be putting out there and and making sure everybody has at least that one access resource for themselves. Yes, thank you. And then Megan, if you would like to to share. Um, Sure, yes. Um, I think probably like, I think the bit, one of the biggest pieces of, of wisdom that I really got early on in my journey that I, I would, I would like to share with the listeners would be um, I took a, there was a course I took on, on learning, learning about how to be self-aware. And, um, you know, sometimes that's hard to do. I mean, in, in early recovery, you know, like I'm listening to a lot of, um, you know, professionals and, and what, and, and trusting them and, and, and that's okay too. You know, when, when you're new, if you're, if you need help, sometimes you have to, to, you know, to break out and to, you know, and to learn to trust the guidance and and the advice of, of those in the professional field. And, you know, that can feel really scary at times. Um, But I guess what I've learned more, like on my journey of, you know, wellness and advocacy, sometimes as you grow, sometimes People are not necessarily going to people don't people don't always grow with you, right? So yes. <laughs> you learn it learning that they people people would see me in um as like you know party Megan who used to get belligerently drunk on the weekends and pass out and that was like kind of like that limited perception that they would see me in and um and I mean that's just a general example you know sometimes with with professionals too, you know, like I've had to, you know, see new doctors or get new counsel or and other examples because, you know, they're they're look they're they're like they're kind of looking at my symptoms from almost 10 years ago. And they, mm-hmm. they don't, you know, and they don't they don't go, they don't go to my wellness classes with me and they don't come with me to see my therapist and my counselor or my dietitian or anything like that. So um, I, I know that it might not be like this in all areas of, of you know, um, of the world and the United States and Canada and whatnot. Um, but that's just kind of like based on my, like my experience with, with my men, with, with my wellness journey. Sometimes you have to be like self-aware enough to, to learn to kind of like make your, your own, uh, own judgment on it. You know, and I didn't necessarily, I didn't come up with, come up to this on my own. Like I, the organization that I'm going to be doing public speaking with, um, 
you know, we, we did a we did a whole series of workshops on advocacy and you know learning to talk about what you need mm-hmm. within your professionals. So in no way, in no way, am I preaching like non-compliance or anything like that. I'm simply saying, you know, like just be you know like be aware of like you know like it, or are the services and the things that you're doing, are they aligned with what you need right now? Right. Right. So thank you everyone for taking some time to speak with me today. I think we have had just some really pivotal conversations and have gone over some very important topics. And I hope that this has been as helpful for you as it has been for me. Um, I love receiving new information from other perspectives because it helps me learn more. And also that the people who are listening and tuning into this episode receive the same kind of experience. So I hope that you all enjoy the rest of your day and that everybody stays safe. Um, And I hope to have you back on in a different conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. Honored to be here. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Of course. Thank you. I am looking for fellow podcasters and community members to collaborate with me on episodes for this podcast. So if you're interested in coming on and talking about any of the various social topics that come to mind, please fill out the request form in the description. And if you haven't already, please connect with me on my social media platforms on my link tree. There is also a link for a voice message to leave your thoughts and feelings, and they might even get aired on an episode, so don't hold back. (laughs) Thank you again for talking with me. Bye. If you're interested into getting into holistic healing, I invite you to check out my dear friend Jess Kay's healings. Jess is a Reiki master, integrated energy therapist, oracle card reader, and a certified hypnotherapist. She's passionate about her work and has a variety of services for you and your family and friends. So check out her information in the show notes.